The people I come from are food obsessed. We've planned entire trips around eating and are known on occasion to discuss dinner plans in the middle of lunch. So I think George Bernard Shaw was really onto something when he said, there is no sincere love than love of food. More than being delicious, food can bring people together, heal the body and soul, and is intertwined with generations of history and tradition. We're going to dig into some of this today by getting a little taste of South Texas. We'll start at its endpoint in Brownsville, then visit its gateway in San Antonio. Along the way, we'll learn a bit about what a good meal can tell you about a place, but best of all, hear from the folks doing the cooking. You could say this is a tale of two cities, but it's really a tale of two tacos. I'm Evan Stir, and this is Vanishing Postcards. Born and raised, what can I say? I love Brownsville, this is my hometown. I go out and we go on vacation and I'm longing to come back because this is where home is really. Before leaving Corpus this morning, I pulled into a full-service gas station to have my steering wheel fluid checked. Striking up a conversation, the tall, sunburned attendant asked where I was going. I said, I'm heading down to Brownsville. You coming back tonight, he asked. When I told him no, he said, I'm sorry. Like all people, the good citizens of Brownsville have many wants, needs, and dreams. Speak with the folks around here, and most will acknowledge that this border city, at the southernmost tip of the central United States, has its share of challenges. But pity isn't something I think any of them are after. Um, and I want to say that in every area of the country, there is that part of, of, of the environment that you live in, right? There's always poor, there's always... And yes, compared to the country, and yes, statistics show that we're one of the poorer uh, state or area actually here and and yes definitely we have to to progress i am I'm, I'm all for that but i don't know i just consider myself good rich i guess i, I could say that not you know rich uh, per se because i have what i need and yes uh I'm, I'm an educator and yes i can see in my children some of my children are they need some so many resources you know but at the same time, they're loving, they're, they're good children, they're, they come from good families. They're in a good place. It's a good place to live. I'm speaking with Adela Vera in the front room of Vera's Backyard Barbecue, the takeout counter restaurant she runs with her husband, Mando. It's Friday afternoon, they've just finished service, and she's sitting down preparing containers of onion and cilantro for the coming Saturday onslaught. They're only open three days out of the week from 5 a.m. to 2.30, but given Adela's teaching schedule, you can't call any of what she does part-time. Well, it, Monday through Friday, I'm at school, basically, uh, and up there, I'm usually uh, there until 4, 5 o'clock, basically. Saturday, Sunday, this is where I am, up to about 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so it's a whole week's worth, worth of work. And so how many years have you been doing that routine? Uh, well, we've been married, what, about, uh, 35, approximately 35 years, so that's how much, <laughs> that's how long I've been doing. Not one for martyrdom, 
she's quick to tell me she's taken days off, vacations, and traveled a bit. Her husband Mondo, though, she says, doesn't know the meaning of rest. Just then he enters from the back and plops down in front of a large fan to cool off. Mondo's a big guy. He sports a mustache, work boots, and his t-shirt and jeans are smudged with ash. He smiles at me with his eyes and gives a welcoming tip of his ball cap, but his tiredness is palpable, and I can't help but feel intrusive in speaking with him at this hour. Again, thank you so much for, for letting me come in here to talk to you at the end of your day. I mean, um, I, I know you have a lot of work left to do. What time did this day start for you? Uh, around 4 o'clock in the morning. Today I got here at 3.30, so 3.30, 4 o'clock. It depends on how back, uh, backed up I, mean, I am. I'd soon learned this was far from the end of his day, and little about this operation is what you might expect. Let's start with the name. Vera's Backyard Barbecue. They do offer brisket, but that's not the draw, and you won't find ribs, sausage, coleslaw, or any of the usual Texas trappings here, no. This place is about barbacoa. Okay, barbacoa, it's, it's Mexican barbecue. So it, it's, uh, it's beef head barbecue, that's what it is. So you take the beef head and you cook it. You know, we, we've done it the old way, the traditional way. We've got a pit, we've got a hole in the ground. And that's our pit, and you know, we cook with mesquite wood. A lot of the barbacoa places or, or the Mexican barbecue are, are, not, are not using the beef head, you know, they, they, they're using uh, uh, chick meat, you know, which, which is sold by the case. Uh, beef head barbecue. Actually, the term barbacoa is generally agreed to have evolved from an amalgam of the Spanish words for beard and tail, meaning that everything in between gets used. And to any vegetarians listening, you might want to close your ears because looking at the menu here, which even includes sesos, brains, that seems to pretty much be the case. You know, we cook that, it cooks over, over 10, 12 hours, uh, and then you have a choice of you want lean, you want, you want cachete, which is the lean, you want lengua, which is tongue, you know, the, the, the Mexican caviar, which is the eyeballs, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's a caviar there. You know, uh, that's something that's sold out by um, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 8.30, 7 o'clock, you know. Did he just say eyeballs? You know, you get people calling a, a day before, two days before. You know, I got a, a guy called me, uh, as a matter of fact, a guy called me this morning. He's coming down from McAllen, which is about an hour away. And he wanted two pounds of ice. That's what he wants. I like to think of myself as pretty adventurous, but can't say I'm in the mood to give that a try anytime soon. Funnily enough, Mondo himself actually admits that he only tried one for the first time about three years ago. It was also his last. And I'm sure some of you squeamish types out there might be wondering how the hell people started doing this in the first place. Well, barbacoa is a working man's food. It started in Mexico, and has a long history here in the valley where ranch hands and vaqueros were often given the leftover scraps that nobody wanted. And when you look at the evolution of cuisines around the world, this is often how some of the best meals have been discovered. The barbacoa traditionally comes from Mexico. So, so um, you know, out, out in Mexico in the ranches, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a different, it's a different world, you know. Out there, they, they, they kill a cow or a calf and the meat has to go, you know. And uh, after they took everything out, it was a beef head. So what do we do with the beef head? So, you know, the ranchers out there, they, they dig the hole, they, they, they start a fire, and 
and that's how it came to be. You know, they, they, they put the beef head in there, so it's, we've got Mexican barbacoa now. Cooking a head right is a process. To be fair, there are plenty of great chefs out there who figured out how to do this well, but Mondo is special because when he talks about his pit, he isn't describing a smoker or brick oven. He's the only guy in this entire country who's legally allowed to sell barbacoa as it was intended, out of a literal hole in the ground. Okay, so, so in cooking the head, what we do is we start the fire, we got, a, we got a hole in the ground, which is a pit actually. Uh, it's lined with a uh, uh, fire brick. And uh, we start the fire, the fire goes on for about anywhere from six to eight hours. And uh, once those, uh, those mesquite woods are burned and they turn into charcoal, then, then, then we put the sheet metal there and we put the barbecue in the pit. And uh, once it's, it's in the pit, we cover it with a, with a sheet metal, we seal it with dirt, and um, it stays there for about another 10, 12 hours. You know, and, and, and by, the, by, by then it, it's, it's ready to go. Mondo will tell you that cooking underground gives the meat a pure flavor that allows it to speak for itself. It's got that mesquite wood. It's got a different, the mesquite, the original, you know, and, and we don't add any spices nor salt, not even salt, you know, so we don't add any spices. It's just the barbecue pit, you know, and, and the mesquite wood. That's what gives it the taste. He's right. I ordered the cachete, beef cheek, which I'm told is the most popular, and fashioned three tacos with locally made corn tortillas, onions, cilantro, and salsa verde. The taste is simple, rustic, smoky, and I haven't stopped thinking about it since. Us, we're in a different category. You know, I, I don't brag about it, uh, but getting something to getting something to a customer that he cannot get there elsewhere. You know, you, if you can do it at home, why would you want to go to a restaurant and buy it? You know, you want to get something that they cannot get anywhere else. You know, that's 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 it. He learned how to do this from his father, who started selling here on Sunday, 65 years ago. It was back in 1955, and uh, it's been here since. I'm in second generation here, so I've been doing it for about 45 years. You know, I was, I was like 13, 14 years old when I started doing it. So. The reason it's called Backyard Barbecue isn't marketing. It's because the pit was built in what had been the Vera family's actual backyard. I didn't realize it when I walked inside, but the building we're standing in, which now houses the shop, was the home Mondo grew up in. You know, uh, I was born, I was raised actually here, actually here in this, uh, this building. Part of it was the house and part of it was the business. So, so yeah, so I grew up here, you know. We had like, just a uh, uh, our, our bathroom, our little kitchen, and, and just one room. And that's where we, we all, uh, all five of us uh, lived, my dad, my mom, and my three brothers. And my three brothers, so, so yeah, it, it was part of the, it was, it, it was a, it, it's a mom-and-pop shop, you know. Well, in the last few years, this little mom-and-pop operation has started to get a lot of attention. Uh, we've been in so many magazines and books and, and, and uh, TV shows, and, and as a matter of fact, we just got the James Beard Award. You know, it's an honor for us to, to, to come in from uh, this part of, of Brownsville, especially. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an area where it's always been put down by everybody, you know. And uh, for me, it's an honor to go and represent my, my, my barrio, as you'd say, my, my neighborhood, you know, my, my Brownsville. And as a matter of fact, I'm representing Texas for that matter, you know. But 
Mondo isn't in this for the headlines. He was doing this ages before anyone outside of Brownsville took notice and tells me he plans on going for as long as he can. It's been a life, life journey, you know, so tiring, rewarding. I love what I do. Uh, we had a lot of hard times. Uh, uh, thank God, you know, we, we're doing, you know, we, do it. We, owe, we owe it all to the man upstairs, you know. Uh, if it weren't for him, nothing, not, nothing would have been possible. But, uh, well, I guess I, I, I want to keep on going until I can keep kicking, you know. So, so I'm 59. I still got another, I don't know, another 10, 15 years to go. I don't want to monopolize any more of this man's time, but ask if I can step out back to see the pit. He politely tells me he has a lot of work to do, but if I'm free to go ahead and swing on by any time between 7 and 8. So about five hours later, after a nap and light dinner, I come back. How's it going? Oh, man, I'm so damn tired. So have you, have you been home since the last time I saw you? Huh? Have you been home since the last time I saw you? No, I've been here since 3.30 in the morning. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> What time are you here tomorrow morning? Three o'clock. Three o'clock? And I'll probably only leave until 10 o'clock. Nevertheless, he greets me with a smile and leads me past a barking neighborhood straight to the shed out back. He opens the door and I'm hit by a wall of heat and the smell of mesquite smoke. In front of us is the pit, a bricked up hole that looks to be about four feet deep with roaring orange flames shooting out of it. It's neat to look at, but it's about 90 degrees outside and humid, and within seconds, I'm completely drenched with sweat. But Mondo doesn't judge. I don't think this is something anyone could ever truly get used to, even after some 45 years. And in regard to time, I ask if he sees any of his kids taken over. Actually, no, I doubt it. Uh, um, my, uh, my older son is a, b a band director. My uh, daughter, she's got a graduate degree in... Uh, Mexican-American studies, and, and she does that. Uh, my younger daughter, she, she's doing good. She, she's working for a good company, and she's doing good. So I, I don't see him doing this. So no, you never know, right? But for now, I don't think so. So unless some keen apprentice with masochistic tendencies shows up, this saga ends with Mondo, and traditional barbacoa becomes even harder to find. I get it. Given the heat hours and everything associated with this work, I stand in awe that this fire has been burning for 65 years. Right now, I'm just grateful to have visited and yearn for an excuse to make the long drive back. And next time someone says I'm sorry when they hear I'm driving to Brownsville, I'll know to say, you should feel sorry that you're not. Before moving on, I've got to say that working on this show has helped introduce me to many fellow creators. Two of my absolute favorites are Ryan Sheffield and Brad Dewar, who are the brains behind the podcast Tex Arcana. Tex Arcana is an exploration of strange, dark, and obscure tales of Texas history, horror, true crime, and the curious intersections between. Ryan and Brad need in-depth research with atmospheric storytelling to shed light on the forgotten, overlooked, and misunderstood. They unearth the truth beneath the lore, legends, and lies, and trace the strange and surprising connections that bind them all together. 
Take it from me, each episode is like a mini novella that will keep you on the edge of your seat, and recommend you do yourself a favor by finding Tex Arcana, that's two words, Tex, A-R-C-A-N-A, wherever you get your podcasts. And now, let's get back to the show. So, as I've drilled into your head repeatedly by now, you don't find barbacoa on every street corner. But actually, finding good old-school Tex-Mex is starting to become a challenge as well. Property taxes have forced out family-run mainstays like Austin's El Gallo. Enchiladas with chile con carne isn't exactly health-conscious or trendy. And some, like the great chef Diana Kennedy, have railed against this food for decades. But mercifully, San Antonio's Mi Tierra is still going strong. Opened in 1941 as a three-table cafe on downtown's Market Square, three generations later, it now runs 24 hours and sprawls over 59,000 square feet. Breakfast here is a treat for all five senses. Mariachis stroll amongst tables of backslapping politicos, colored lights and papel picado dangle from the ceilings, And if you step in the back room, you'll see a gigantic wall covered floor to ceiling with what's known as the American Dream Mural. Painted with a vibrant cheerfulness, it showcases local business leaders alongside historical figures like Pancho Villa and cultural icons like Selena, Carlos Santana, Flaco Jimenez, and Vicky Carr. Also included in this cavalcade of Latino excellence is a radiant, curly-haired Ellen Riojas Clark. I was born in San Antonio, Texas, and I'm going to die in San Antonio, Texas. A professor of bilingual studies at the University of Texas, San Antonio, Ms. Riojas Clark has traveled all over Mexico, written a book focused entirely on tamales, recently completed an exhaustive study of pan dulce, and is fascinated by what food can tell us about region. So again, geographics, geographics uh, plays a part in um, how food develops into another form. And, um, and food is, like culture, is not stagnant, so it's always changing. Concerning this, I've met no one who studied San Antonio's food history with greater scholarship, and she's quick to defend Tex-Mex against those who dismiss it as quote-unquote inauthentic. Tex-Mex is Mexican food. That's the basis for it. So if you deconstruct, not very far, it is Mexican food. Enchiladas are Mexican. And they're red enchiladas made with the red enchilada sauce. The only difference in Texas with those is that they put yellow cheese on them. That's, that's the only difference. So to me, that's still Mexican food. So um, you're, you're right, I think, that, that Diane Kennedy, you know, put her nose up in the air about Tex-Mex food. I, I, don't, I don't disqualify any food because I think it's authentic to that region, to that time, etc. And it's a good food. I think Tex-Mex is good. Puffy tacos are good. Excellent. Funny she should mention, the puffy taco played a role in my decision to come here. It's one of those signature San Antonio dishes you hear about. So much so, it's the mascot for their local Meyer League team. 
But even though I grew up only 80 miles from here, I've never tried one. And the reason Ellen gives for why they're hard to find beyond the 210 area code is pretty simple. Because they're hard to make. I mean, you know, to make in a fast food restaurant is not easy. And it takes skill to be able uh, to do that. Like I said, you know, you have to know exactly how, how thin to, to press that masa, otherwise it just doesn't work. And most of them are made, handmade, so, so I don't think that's why it's traveled. But yes, it, I, in my book, it was the original one made was in San Antonio. Ray's Drive-In claims to have birthed the Puffy Taco sometime back in the 60s, but so do a few others, and Ellen says its origin story is challenging to pin down. But she does tell me that Diana Barrios Trevino makes one of the best, and I meet her the following afternoon at her restaurant, Haciendo Los Barrios, to try one. My gosh, a Puffy Taco is not something that my family developed or created. There's a lot of people that argue that they're mother, their grandmother, their father, their uncle, you know, I don't even argue with that, uh, who created the puffy taco. But the puffy taco is something that I like to say we perfected. So you take some fresh corn masa, okay, that has been worked with, you know, water and seasoning. You get it to this perfect consistency where it doesn't stick to your hands. And you put it through a tortilla press. You can take that corn tortilla or that raw corn tortilla and put it on a comal, a hot comal or a hot griddle and you can cook a handmade corn tortilla. Or you can take that raw corn tortilla and drop it into the hot oil and watch it puff up. And then you play around with it, make an indention and you pull it out and you stuff it with, I mean, you can stuff it with just about anything, whatever you want. We. We, our most popular puffy tacos are the picadillo, which is a ground beef, or the shredded chicken in a, in a tomato-y sauce, or we also have the bean and cheese pop, uh, puffy tacos and the guacamole puffy tacos. Those are really popular. And then they come with lettuce and tomato on top of that. Like many things in life, she learned how to make this humble creation from her mother, and they've taken her far in this world. She, I don't think she ever expected us to get and to do everything that we have gotten to do with that puffy taco. From being on the Food Network with Bobby Flay, on a throwdown with Bobby Flay, to going to the lawn of the White House for the congressional picnic in 2010 and cooking puffy tacos. It's just opened so many doors. Um, it, it's been a wonderful, wonderful expression of love that we get to go and share with the rest of the world. I tried the picadillo and can verify that this heavenly, delicate, slightly crispy flavor bomb of a taco is indeed an expression of love. And love is something that Diana radiates as I watch her checking in on both her customers and staff during today's lunch shift. Hacienda Los Barrios is a grand modern space and is just one of four restaurants now owned and operated by Diana and her brother. But she'll tell you the seeds of all this can be traced to a leap of faith her mother took as a young widow over 40 years ago. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a dream of hers to open up Los Barrios. It was her last hope. So she invested $3,000 and they rented an old boat garage. No parking lot. There was just, you could park on the street. Uh, no matching tables, no matching chairs. Very, very humble beginnings. Because she doesn't, she, 
A lot of people say, oh, she used her last $3,000. No, no, that's not the case. She only chose, she only wanted to spend, she didn't want to get, she didn't want to lose any more money. So she only spent the $3,000. That was all she invested. That was her initial investment. And so three weeks into the project, it was standing room only. But like my brother Louis says, when the food is good, there's forgiveness and everything else. Forgiveness is another important word in this family. So our dad died September 1st, 1975. From that day forward until April the 24th, 2008, she prepared us for life without her because she saw how we reacted after our dad died. I had just turned 12, Louis had just turned 15 and Teresa was 16, about to turn 17. We were very sheltered, we were very loved, we were very innocent in so many ways and we had to grow up overnight. And it was, and my father died in a car accident. My mother was murdered by her neighbor. I, it, they couldn't, the way we handled everything was very different. With the death of my dad, my brother just, you know, he and my father were best friends and so it wasn't good. There was a lot of unforgiveness with his death. The death of my mother, she spent the rest, all that time, you know, between my father's death and her death, preparing us. And what she fed us, not only her cooking, but what she fed us was a lot of spirituality. And, um, you know, the day she died, dying the way she did, um, people were very, they couldn't understand how we could be so forgiving. We had all three of us, my sister, my brother and I, we all had children, we have children and, and they were young. And my mother would have been so disappointed if we had reacted um, in an unforgiving manner. She would have been so disappointed in us because that's, that would be what we would be teaching her grandchildren. And that was the furthest thing she'd want. My mother was about forgiveness, never holding a grudge and, and being kind and loving and, uh, and, you know, and knowing that you make those choices. Those are choices that we can make. And it doesn't cost anything to make them. You just gotta make up your mind. And you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, we didn't think this kid who murdered our mom shouldn't pay the price. He's in jail for the rest of his life. He'll never come out, ever. But, Forgiving, yes, we had to be forgiving because that's what we were taught. And that's how we honored our mom. And when did you go back to work? After my mother died? Um, let's see, she, she died on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I think I went back to work the next Wednesday. And my brother had told me, you need to stay home a couple weeks. This, I mean, this, we've, had, we've gone through a whole lot. I said, Louie, I can't. She's in my ear going, I know you miss me, but you gotta get back to work. And he called me and he said, how are you, are you okay? I said, Louie, I'm, I'm real good, but our customers are not. They, they're, they're so heartbroken and they're so sad. It's like we would minister to them and, and let them know, you know what? We're okay, mom's okay. We're gonna focus on how she lived her life, not on the last 10 seconds of her life. And it was very therapeutic. It was very therapeutic to get back to work. And like it or not, sad as, as much as I was, 
I had to get back to work because she was in my ear going, <clears throat> who's minding the store? You know, get back to work. We got to take care of our customers. We got to take care of our employees. We got to make sure, you know, everything is spot on. Enter any one of their establishments and you'll see a painting of the elder Miss Barrio seated, keeping a regal eye over her beloved patrons. Her spirit lives on through her children, the food they serve, a charity, and restaurant named in her honor. Now we have another restaurant that we opened after my mother passed away, and it begged to be named in her, after her, and in her, done in her memory. And so the restaurant is named Violas Ventanas. My mother was Viola, and Violas Ventanas, because my mother loved windows. And my brother says, if you could look into the, if you could look through the window into my mother's soul, you would see her showing her love by cooking for people. That's what she did. She loved doing that. I began this episode by quoting George Bernard Shaw. But I'm now reminded of Cesar Chavez, who once said, the people who give you their food give you their heart. That's what Diana and Mondo do. Different cities, different tacos, different processes, different histories. But in the end, it all comes back to love. So many to thank for making this episode happen, and we'll start by extending my gratitude to Mondo and Adela Vera for finding the time to speak with me despite their busy and exhausting schedules. If you end up near Brownsville, I can assure you that a visit to Vera's Backyard Barbecue is an absolute must. They're open Friday through Sunday from 6 a.m. until 2.30 or whenever they sell out. For more info, you can find them on Facebook or place an order in advance by giving them a call at 956-546-4159. I also must thank Ellen Riojas-Clark. She is the most impressive food historian I have ever had the pleasure of connecting with. Her many writings can be easily accessed on Amazon and as new projects in the fire, one of which is a coloring book we can all look forward to next year. She was also the one responsible for facilitating my meeting with the extraordinary Diana Barrios Trevino, who was someone I feel I can now call a friend. Like everyone else, I gained some weight last year, much of which I blame on the insane amount of food she fed me. In addition to the puffy tacos, I had a trio of enchiladas, some empanadas, nachos, rice, and beans, and I'm not ashamed to say I ate it all. It was just that good. And you can have a feast of your own by visiting any one of her restaurants. You can get info on all of them by visiting losbariosrestaurant.com. Finally, I thank you for listening. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard and haven't already, please subscribe. It helps us grow and guarantees you will never miss an episode. As always, if you know someone in your life who might enjoy what we're up to, it would mean a great deal if you could take a second to text them and share this episode. For photos and more info, please find us on Instagram or visit vanishingpostcards.com where we'd love to hear from you if you have any stories you care to repeat or know of any places we should consider visiting. Otherwise, know that I'm wishing you well and hope you'll join us next time for more Vanishing Postcards. Postcards.